Welcome to Oak Ridge Community Church. My name is Dave Ferguson. I'm one of the pastors. So pleased that you could join us. If you're joining us remotely, you're so welcome. If you're watching this message months later, you're very welcome as well. If you're here with us in person, we're so glad that you came. I'd like to just cover a few basics of etiquette. If you're here in the building with us, I just want to remind you that you should be wearing your mask unless you're here up on stage sharing or singing. Um, you also are invited to wear one of these handy-dandy wristbands. Green means you are comfortable with physical contact. Yellow means keep a little bit of distance. And uh, if you wear the red wristband, that means please don't touch me, which is fine. We respect that. Each person has different needs in terms of their health and their levels of comfort. We respect that. We love one another. We offer, we offer these opportunities of, to be unified and gracious towards one another. If you're joining us remotely, just want to remind you that you'll be joining the message on mute. And you will be able to chat and talk to our remote host, which is Pastor Julian Smith. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to ping Julian, and he can give you a hand. And I do encourage you, if you are remote, hang around. And after the message, you'll, you'll have a chance to share in our breakout rooms, a chance to catch up and fellowship, share prayer requests, anything that's going on in your life. So please do hang around after the service if you are remote. Also, if you're here with us today, uh, in the building, we have, when you, if you want a fellowship, we have the lobby that we can hang out in, and we can also hang out on the lower level in the Patapska room, basically, for the entire afternoon if there's something you want to do or gather or hang out. So today is a special day. We have, we have, a, we have a guest speaker who I'll be introducing in a little bit. Um, I also would like to introduce Cami Sachs. She's going to be sharing with the children today. So kids, are there kids here? Are there kids here? Can I hear a holler from the kids? Can you welcome Miss Cammy? Say yay! Yay! Thank you. All right, kids, I want you to come up here to the dance floor because we're going to do our memory verse and then we're going to dance. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, are you ready for the memory verse? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. All right, we're going to do a song that I want everybody to stand up for. The song is going to give you instructions on how to dance, sort of like Father Abraham. And we're just going to sing the same thing over and over again. But... At the end, it tells you to stick your tongue out, and that's kind of gross in masks. So we're going to make kissy faces like this. Can you make kissy faces? And if you're at home, you can stick your tongue out if you want to. All right.
love you guys. Amen. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's amazing that when we turn our heart toward the Lord and we sing to him, we rejoice. We pour out our heart. We can express ourselves to him in ways that it's hard to do when we're just talking or thinking. So I encourage you, if you're here with us or you're remotely, sing with all your heart when you have a chance to sing before the Lord. Hey, I'd like to introduce a good friend of mine. And uh, Mr. Dave Blum has been here before. Dave Blum is a pastor of Evergreen Church in Manassas, Virginia. Can we have a welcome for Dave? So Evergreen is one of our sister churches, and that means that we have a special relationship with them. We do things together. We talk to each other. Dave and I talk to one another on the phone. Our pastors of our churches interact with one another. We encourage one another. We challenge one another. We support one another. It's a very special relationship. And just as an update, I'd like you to know that we have, in the past, we've been three churches. We've been Oak Ridge, we've been Evergreen, we've been Ablaze, three little churches in a region. This past summer, we joined with a larger group of churches. There's 12 churches in the southeast, stretching from Florida, now to Maryland, called the Southeast Church Alliance. We are now, we consider those churches, a total of 15 churches now, 55 pastors. We are brothers, we are brothers and sister churches in Christ supporting and encouraging one another. I will be, I'll be going, to, um, we're going to a conference here at the end of October, the fellowship with them, and you'll be hearing much more about us interacting with them, supporting them, them supporting us, and, and, and encouraging one another. So, Dave, could I, could I pray for you as we start your message? Oh, I need a lot of prayer. All right. Thank you. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Lord, we bow our heads before you. We bow our bodies before you. We bow our minds before you, we bow our hearts before you, Lord. For we compose and quiet ourselves like a weaned child that leans against his mother. And we do this because we want to hear from you. We want to hear your voice. We want to respond in love and excitement and obedience and peace and in joy. How grateful we are to have your spirit living in us. How grateful we are to have your word that speaks to us. How grateful we are to have fellowship with one another. How grateful we are, God, to gather together in your name. I do pray for David. Lift him up. Lord, speak through him clearly. I just thank you how you've equipped him. Thank you how you've shaped him and molded him. I thank you for the friendship and fellowship and brotherhood you've built between him and me and him and our church and Many members of our church is God. It is your creation, and you've done it. Lord, bless him and speak through him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good to be here. Uh, uh, first of all, Dave Ferguson, uh, thank you for all of your skill and leadership in helping our transition into the Southeast Church Alliance. Uh, by the way, for those of you who haven't seen it firsthand, I, I enjoy calling Dave D. Ferg, which is his rapper name, uh, but uh, he is such a skilled uh, leader when it comes to uh, things like we've been through over the last six months, and so it's been a joy to work with you. Thank you for, for that. Um, uh, help me out a little bit. Uh, the, what does the green band mean? It means you can, you can give somebody a holy kiss like over there. Okay, holy hug. 
Okay, and then what, what's the yellow mean? A little distance? Is it, yeah, and then is there a, like, don't come near me, which is, which one's red? Is that red? Okay, so I heard, here's what I proposed at our church down in Manassas, Virginia. I, I was fine with all three of those colors, but I thought we should add a purple. And the purple means I don't like you and I don't want to talk to you. And no one bought into that, but uh, at any rate, uh, it's great to be here. Uh, any of you, like, ever just think, gal, things are changing so rapidly around us that I can't keep up, and it, it, it sometimes just overwhelms me or even just buries me, and I just want to, any of you ever wanted to, like, fly away to another mountain or island and just stay there the rest of your life? or dig a bunker and just like cover it up, okay? The introverts want the bunker, right? The extroverts want to go other things. Uh, this, this shifting sands in our world and in our culture really hit me about a month ago because, uh, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out things are really, really challenging. All you got to do is read headlines every day. And you, you hear of cities that are burning and protests and uh, racism and all sorts of things that are cropping their evil head. And I've heard some solutions that are really, uh, I think, great ideas and some that are just ridiculously negative and everything in between. But it really hit me about a month ago because uh, how many of you heard what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, when they had their riots? Now, most of you, how many, anybody here ever been to Kenosha, Wisconsin? My wife, right there, and that is Vanessa's hometown, Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so I spent many, many days and weeks there with my children. So I had a much more vested interest in what was going on in Kenosha, Wisconsin, because our relatives and friends were actually uh, extremely concerned about their personal safety as well as the reality of, of that city. Well, uh, you may or may not have heard, regardless of the tensions that erupted that, that's not my purpose in talking about it, is there, was, uh, uh, there were foundational things uh, that were affected in the city. In fact, as we pressed in and heard the reports, a hundred businesses were affected to the point where they couldn't stay open. And out of those a hundred, they think 40 will shut down completely. And the harbor, which is on Lake Michigan there in Kenosha, uh, that's a beautiful place. And it was just devastated. Uh, in fact, the church where Vanessa and I got married in 1979, 41 years ago, was one block from the war, one of the war zones, and we were praying hard that it would escape. It did escape. It's still standing, but the uh, Danish-American hall where Vanessa's mom and dad celebrated their 40th wedding anniversary is burned down. So when we go back eventually, we're going to see a lot of destruction. And it reminds me, actually, everything that's shifting— Everything that's swirling, everything that's kind of just like, whoa, it reminds me of this verse in the book of Psalms, Psalms 11. In fact, if you have uh, 
the hard copy notes, uh, if you're here today in person, you can look at those. They should be around you. If you're uh, on our Zoom call and online, hey, everybody, uh, Dave, was that able to get forwarded to people on email? No. Okay, so just pay close attention. We're going to fill in some gaps here today. But Psalm 11 says this. In the Lord I take refuge, and how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark, or as another translation says, to shoot in the shadows at the upright in heart. And then the psalmist, it's David, asks a very I think a profound but rhetorical question that I'm going to try to answer today, which is this. If the foundations are destroyed, in fact, the tense of that word is being destroyed. In other words, it's not like they've just been destroyed and it's all over. There's an active, ongoing destruction of the foundation. What can the righteous do? One of Vanessa's teaching associates that she worked with for several years had this, has this beautiful home down in our area, right on Lake Montclair, a uh, beautiful place to live, and it's up on a hill, and, you, and there's these rhododendrons and azaleas all around the house, and it was one of those homes you, you, you kind of like, whoa, gee, I wish I had that, but I just found out uh, uh, earlier this spring the foundation on the home had cracked and shifted. And there were cracks in the home, and there were mice getting in, and there was water getting in. And they had to bring in some contractor specialist who had to actually rebuild the entire foundation. And I wonder if we're kind of not in that particular scenario today. And as we dig into Ephesians, I kind of thought of this title for the series, God's Blueprint and Our Response. And so today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I think it gives some insight into what kind of foundational rebuilding and reconstruction that you and I have to be part of if we want this thing to keep going, and if we want to really see progress, and if we want to Listen, we got to get beyond just white-knuckling it, surviving and hanging on tight and hoping it doesn't all fall apart. We've got to get beyond that and get to a place where we're actually taking ground, we're being proactive, we're actually building something, and we're building a kingdom that will last forever, regardless of the circumstances around us and what a privilege it is to be able to do that. But it takes intentionality, it takes faith, it takes risk, and it takes getting out of our comfort zones and trusting God to do an unseen thing. So, listen carefully. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I want you, how many of you liked English and grammar when you were in school? How many of you? Raise your hand. How many of you think those people are weird? Okay, there we go. So we at least understand where we're all coming from. Uh, There's three tenses that are being talked about in Ephesians 2. Past tense, something that's already taken place. It's occurred, and it's over, but it may have implications in the present tense. 
So there's things that are going on now. And then there's something going on in the future. So as we read the passage, I want you to think about what is being said that's past tense to a follower of Jesus. What's being said about what's going on in the present and what's being said about the future. Here we go. Book of Ephesians chapter 2. And you, meaning true believers, the saints, the holy ones, those who have come to a personal faith in Jesus, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and with them and with the Lord. Okay. Well, we have masks on. I don't know if this will work. I was going to have you guys tell me what was past tense, present tense, future. Is it, is it illegal to shout something out, if you can, through the mask? Some, no, it's not. Thank you. I like interactive stuff. So somebody tell me what's past tense here. What is in the past with respect to a true believer or follower of Jesus? We were saved, past tense. We were dead. What were we dead in? Transgressions, trespasses, and sins. We were dead, right? What else? Ah, that's a very, boy, isn't that a, uh, don't people love to hear that in our culture today? Like, do you ever like just, like, you, do you ever like go up to a clerk at Harris Teeter or, or Giant say, did you know that you're by nature a child of wrath if you haven't believed in Jesus? Is that kind of a common way that you get a conversation going? It's, it's a painful but a, a, a painful truth that people need to hear in the right context. I totally understand that. But it's still painful. And it needs to be told. It needs to be understood. And for the believer, it actually follower of Jesus who's come into right relationship with him, it's no longer a painful thing. What else? Anything else past tense? Yes, we were made alive. In other words, what's fascinating about that topic or that phrase 
it's not we're being made alive, it's we passed from death to life, okay? We did. We did. We walked according. In other words, uh, we followed a trajectory, and we had a way of looking at life in a sphere that controlled us that was apart from God. Now, you could be a religious person, and that would still apply to you if you didn't know Jesus. In fact, that's part of the conundrum, is oftentimes we only associate certain things like walking according to the uh, the, the prince of the power of this world and, and that, with external things that are very obviously wrong and immoral, addictive things, sexual things, uh, greed and, and those kinds of things. But jealousy and selfish ambition and pride and our thought life and all those things that are not easily externally seen. In fact, we can fake it, right? We can have all these things internally going on, and we can fake it externally. Those things are equally part of walking apart from God. But that's what we were. How about a couple of present tense things? What's happening in the present to a follower of Jesus? We are being something, we're, we're being newly created all the time or transformed or we're God's workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship is pomia, which is the word that we get for poetry. So God is making a poem out of your life all the time. And you can either be part of that process or you can resist that process. You can either cooperate with the work that God's trying to do, the sculpting that he's trying to do in your life, or you can ignore it or reject it or grieve it or quench it. But there's an ongoing work in the present that's God, that God is doing. There's something else going on too. What is happening now with the sons of disobedience? Anybody tell me? We once lived in the passions, right? But the spirit that was working in us before we came to Jesus, the prince of the power of the air, he is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So I want you to let that sink in a little bit, is that we have a duality of work being done. Jesus, in the past has taken all those who have come into a personal faith in Christ, saved them, brought them from death to life, seated them at the right hand positionally, and is now doing an ongoing work in your life. If you cooperate with him and you walk with him, you'll receive that spirit-led transformation and sculpting, and you'll be creating new poems every day demonstrating who God is to other people. But co co concurrently at the same time that the Spirit is now still working in the sons of disobedience. So we have to take a gut check, and we have to say we don't live in heaven. We don't live on Fantasy Island. We don't live where it's seashells and balloons. We live 
in Normandy behind the enemy lines and we've been parachuted into a world that's antithetical to the reality of heaven on earth and there's going to be opposition and there's going to be pressure and there's going to be pushback. And I think sometimes we wake up in the world we're in now and we see how much that is happening and we think, oh my gosh, I'm shocked. Don't be shocked. Seriously, don't be shocked. Because if you get shocked in a sense and you stay there, you'll retreat into your bunker or you'll fly away to some other island. And David said in Psalm 11, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God to fight it out here in his power and his strength. Oh, (laughs) let me share with you. You want a gut check passage? I can leave. I don't have to come back. So if you're mad at me, take it out on deferred. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Does it feel like we're in the last days? I don't know. I don't know what the, you know, I think so. I can't predict it. It sure feels like it. Here we go. For people will be lovers of self. That's where it all gets bad. What I think, what I feel, what makes me happy, I worship myself. So if you give me a truth or a guardrail or anything that that ropes me in from expressing the way I think and feel or what makes me happy in the moment, you're a bad person. And that's where it all starts. A lover and worshiper of ourself. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Should I keep going? In the last days, difficult times will come. Don't be shocked by it. Don't build a bunker and retreat underground forever. Don't catch the next plane out of the country and live in New Zealand the rest of your life, unless God's called you there. Understand the spirit of the the prince of the power of the air is at work in the sons of disobedience. You know what it says in another passage? It says that people get so depraved that they invent new ways of doing evil. It's, like every, it's almost like every week I find a new way of evil to be expressed and to be not only expressed but elevated and celebrated. And so I say, well, Lord, what am I to do with this? Let me give you three questions to ask yourself, and I think your answer to these three questions will demonstrate the degree to which you not only understand and embrace the truths of Ephesians 2, 
which give us an antidote to this kind of pressure, it, it will help you understand whether you're experiencing what God wants you to experience in Ephesians 2. Here they are. Ready? The first one is this. Are you secure with respect to your past? Are you secure with respect to your past? Notice that in Ephesians it says you were uh, children of wrath. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were under God's judgment. But you've passed from death to life. In other words, that has taken place, and he no longer takes into account your sin, your past, present, or future sin, because it's all been put on the cross. I think this brings great security, and I think as followers of Jesus, by the way, I don't think this is teaching just because a person makes a verbal profession of faith in Christ, they are a genuine believer, and they can use this as some kind of lottery ticket. I think what it is teaching is, in Ephesians 1, he's addressing true saints. People who have come into a believing, saving faith in Jesus. They're not perfect, but they're in transformation. The Holy Spirit indwells them. If that's who you are, then you have a tremendous confidence in saying that I'm secure in my position. I've always wanted my kids to know that they're very, very secure in their sonship and daughtership with me. Even if some of the stuff they do drives me crazy and I really think they ought to do something different, which sometimes when I express that, they don't thank me for the opinion anymore. (laughs) But I love you, I'm going to say it. But I want them to know regardless of their response to me, their position is secure. So they have the freedom to follow or not to follow. Got that? Two things, mistakes I think most believers make. First of all, I think they tend to minimize their sin the longer they go as a follower of Jesus. I'm really not that bad. I'm not, ba- I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that person. I really don't have those issues that, and, and we often look in the body of Christ first because we obviously know people in the body that are struggling way more than us, obviously. Or we project out to people who don't know the Lord. I don't do that. I don't burn buildings down. But honestly, you've murdered somebody this week. I suspect most of you. Jesus said that, didn't he? If you call your brother a fool in your heart, you've murdered that person. In your heart. And Jesus said that's a sin. Anybody, like, thought a really negative thought towards another person this week that was maybe over the top, self-righteous? John's wife is kicking him in the ribs like you got to raise both hands. You see where I'm going with it? We tend to minimize it. And when you minimize your sin, grace becomes very cheap and not really all that important, right? Because you've kind of earned that position. 
The other thing people do is instead of minimizing it, they can pendulum swing the other way and not really understand the reality of the gospel in their everyday life. One of the most beautiful things that I've learned to do over the years is every single day, part of my wake-up time is like, God, I just want to kind of have a clean, honest understanding of how I've screwed up the last 24 hours, my thoughts, my words, my actions, and I'm not going to minimize them, but I'm going to bring them before a holy God who's given me the grace of Jesus Christ and covered it. And you've got to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. You got to preach it and to preach it hard, and preach it strong, and say, God, yes, I've done these things, but your grace is greater than my sin. One of my favorite verses is in Romans. It says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So you, you got to have a little contest with God. God, I've sinned this much, and then God says, I can outgrace your sin. Let's have a contest. How much did you sin? I can outgrace it. That's just the way I think about God. It's kind of screwed up, but he's working with me. I think you get it. It's biblically sound that you bring this before the Lord, and then you preach the gospel through the scriptures to yourself. And this brings security. You also should have, and I'm going to go a little bit out of sequence here, you should have a hope for the future. A hopeful future. What do I mean by that? Are you secure with your past? I hope you are. Are you hopeful for the future? In the book of Ephesians, it says this. It says that God wants to give us, in Christ, it says that he raised us up and seated us with him, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that in your head, in your heart, and are you experiencing it in daily life? Because if you are, it's going to fill you with hope, isn't it? Because this is just the taste of what God wants to give me for the rest of my life. The grace that you have now is just a little drop. It's a little bit of medicine drop of the boatload the ocean of grace that God's going to be showing you for the rest of life in eternity it started now eternity started now you've just got a little bit of a taste of it and if you've ever watched a movie with a really tough scene in it and you know the end of the movie it's kind of like this is you know it's not that bad because you know the final outcome right some of you watch your favorite movie over and over again because you know that it's not going to stay that bad forever. And you know that eventually there's a better outcome and it gives you hope. So God wants you to replay that story over and over again. Are you secure in the past? Are you hopeful for the future? And here's how I want to close it today. I think we as followers of Jesus need to become Really, really resilient people. I mean, really resilient. Because you're going you're gonna to feel at times, and I think we're feeling it more today, where we're on the ropes, right? 
You ever seen a, a, a boxing match and the guy, guy's got the guy on the ropes? And he's got to, if he wants to win that fight, he's got to find a way when his back's against the wall and when he's on the ropes, he's got to figure out a way to get out of that situation and increase the leverage that he's got on the, his opponent. But the reality is you're going to be up against the ropes. Your backs are at times going to be against the wall. But then you, you've got to trust God in the middle of this and figure out a way to work through it. In fact, let me just put it this way. The prince of the world of this era, I hate to even say his name sometimes, he scouts you more than you scout him. And so you've got to get smarter, and you've got to get some strategies, and you've got to get some wisdom, and you've got to get this fight going on a deeper, better level. Any of you see the movie Darkest Hour with Winston Churchill? You've got to see that movie. If not, at least Google his speech that he gives during it. A little bit of Hollywood, but it's word for word for what he said, actually, to the House of Commons. Churchill gave three really powerful speeches in May and June of 1940. It was at a time where he had just become prime minister. France was falling rapidly to the Germans. <clears throat> the British Expeditionary Force and some of the other Allied forces had to hole up at Dunkirk and get across with the largest private flotilla ever assembled in the history of the world, ever. They got him across, they got him back, most of them, by a miracle. Miracle, miracle. And they're back on the island, and they're thinking the Nazis are most likely going to invade Britain because France is just about gone. And there's a huge movement in Britain, including their prime minister from World War I, to settle and negotiate peace with Hitler right then and there, which would have meant something really different than what we see today. And in fact, Churchill had to tell some of his closest companions, look, there's a chance they might just kick me out of office and they might negotiate this treaty. But his mindset was way different. He gave a speech in May called Blood, Blood Sweat, to Toil, and Tears speech, which basically said, this is the only thing I can offer you right now. There's going to be blood, there's going to be sweat, there's going to be toil, and there's going to be tears. Later in June, he gave the uh, finest hour speech where he said, look, this is British, Britain's darkest hour. It's going to be their finest hour. Sandwiched in between on June 4th was this speech, and I won't read all of it. I think we might even have, yeah, there we go. Here's what he said. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight 
In France, we shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And you know what his mindset was? We're not just going to kind of bunker down and figure this out and survive. We're going to take it to their turf. We're going to take it to the Gestapo. We're going to take it to Hitler and Nazi and the whole thing. And we're going to wipe them out because they're evil. And their evil should not be present on this planet. And we're not going to stop until we're done. And if it were the only ones doing it, we're going to do it. Men and women, followers of Jesus, we've got to be a little bit not just resilient, we've got to be a little bit audacious. When it comes to this mindset of when the foundations are being destroyed, that God's got a mission for us, a calling for us, a purpose for us, a power for us, to bring light and life and the gospel and freedom to people because we know that the true freedom comes from Jesus. And if the foundations are being destroyed, let's do everything possible to rebuild them in his power, in his strength, and in his way. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you want us to be secure in the past. I thank you that you want us to be hopeful for the future. But I also thank you. You want us to be resilient in the moment where, Lord, we can take the offensive once again. Not an offensive that's driven by self-motivation or selfish ambition or the things that we could easily buy into that are temporal, but something that's motivated by the reality of this gospel that we just looked at in Ephesians 2 that says that all men and women who are by nature children of wrath when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have passed from death to life, are free from their sins, are seated in the right place, in the highest place in heaven, and that your workmanship can be done in their life through the power of the Holy Spirit you have created us anew, and you have created us for new works. Help us live in them and with them by the power of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We bless you, and thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said? Amen. Hey, uh, I think Eric Simpson is teaching next week, Ephesians 2. Great passage on how God reconciled Jews and Greeks and created unity and harmony out of two hugely disparate groups of people. Very timely. You ought to come back. You ought to come on Zoom. And uh, if you're ever in Northern Virginia, come on down. My wife's a great cook. She'll cook for you too. Love you.